Jennifer Ray Perry was a 13-year-old from Marathon, Florida. She had a brother and sister and could be a wild child. On the night of July 30th, 1993, Jennifer and her mother got into an argument in the street. Jennifer stormed off. Her mother believed she walked to Jennifer's sister's. Jennifer never arrived. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Although my general mantra for quite a while has been that we really don't cover child disappearances on Unfound, due to reasons I've mentioned many times, in preparation for this episode, I discovered that we've covered more cases than I would have ever expected. For girls, we've featured Kimberly Norwood, Brandy Myers, Mikkel Biggs, and very recently, Leanne Hosberg. And there are at least a few more. For boys, the list is a lot shorter. Why is that? I really don't know. That's just how it's worked out. Who is this young man? Lucas Degerness from Canada. Yet, despite my surprise at the list being longer than I thought, I don't anticipate my general guidelines changing. I will continue to be very, very picky once again for reasons I've discussed many times. Well, today we have the disappearance of Jennifer Perry, and I think you'll understand very quickly why I accepted the chance to cover this case and why I kind of once again am breaking the rules. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyonez's website, Charlie Project. Jennifer Perry, from all accounts, from her mother to her brother to her sister, was a handful. Jennifer ran away many times, most of the time going to her older sister's place, who was already living on her own at 17. Jennifer made several allegations to authorities regarding her mother over the two years before her disappearance but then recanted each time when questioned further. Then in 1992, Jennifer was sent to a sheriff's ranch for children with behavior problems. And by all accounts, Jennifer seemingly had changed when she returned to Marathon in 1993. So at 10 p.m. on July 30th, 1993, Jennifer was down the street talking to a boy who was in Marathon for the summer with his parents. It was curfew, so her mother expected Jennifer to come home. Two times, Jennifer's mother, Sue, went out to try to get Jennifer to come inside. Jennifer resisted. During the second time, Jennifer swore at her mother and stormed off, and out of sight. Like all the other times, Sue took for granted that Jennifer was heading to the sisters. 
It wasn't until the next day that Sue discovered Jennifer never arrived. Despite many rumors in the small island town, none of them panned out. Jennifer was never seen again. Over the next 20 years, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office investigated many sightings of Jennifer, both inside and outside Florida. None of those women proved to be Jennifer. Many of you have known for a while that I would be covering Jennifer's disappearance due to the FOIA that I got on her case last summer. I will be talking about the file later in this episode. Until then, please listen to the interview and try to answer these three questions. Number one, what would it take for a 13-year-old to run away, grow up, and still be alive in 2022? Number two, what are we to make of some of the deputies in Monroe County at the time who went on to live shady lives, including the original investigator? And number three, in the last 40 years, Jennifer is the only minor to still be missing in Monroe County. Does this rule out a local pedophile and or sex trafficking? Jennifer's family firmly believes foul play occurred. The guest for this episode is Jennifer's sister, Angela Perry. Unfound News Did all of you catch my appearance on the News Nation Now TV show in your area? It was kind of on quick notice, but I was more than happy to talk about Rashawn Francis' disappearance. I thank News Nation Now for their coverage of Rashawn's case. Next, please be looking for another Unfound Now this coming weekend. Yes, it's that time again. A month has gone by since the last one. As usual, the episode will be posted on the Unfound podcast channel on YouTube. Finally, some of you may already know that I made a sudden trip to Pennsylvania to see my dad. This is why the podcast will sound a little different for the next few episodes. Dad is fine. I don't want any of you to worry. I'm just going to be a chauffeur for the next month or so. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on iTunes, Pandora, Audible, Podomatic, Spotify, iHeart, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Deezer, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us for the Unfound live show. Watch, ask questions, and give the show a thumbs up. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast. You can also contribute to PayPal, paypal.me forward slash Unfound Podcast. I also need to give a huge shout out to all the people who have monetarily contributed using Super Chat during the live show on Wednesday nights. Thank you for watching and thank you for donating. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Merchandise, the books at Amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Do not forget the reviews. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. And please mention Unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. 
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the sister of Jennifer Perry, Angela Perry. Angela, welcome to Unfound. Thank you very much. Now, I know uh, the listeners, uh, of course, know that I've been talking to you and your mother for a while now, about six, seven months since the summer of 2021. We're doing this interview on January 10th of 2022, so... I think we've gotten to know each other fairly well, although we've not met in person. And so I know that you are the older sister of Jennifer, and I, I, I believe you were 18 years old when she went missing. What are some of your memories of Jennifer, um, maybe before you moved out? What, what can you tell the listeners uh, about her? Um, I, was, I was actually 17 when she oh, went okay. missing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer was full of life. She, she loved to dance. Uh, she loved to get together with her friends. Uh, she was just a happy girl. I mean, you know, she was a typical 13 year old that, you know, yeah, we all get into our little, you know, Mm -hmm. life, you know, experience and stuff like that. But for the most part, you know, her and I got along real great, you know, um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was just a typical 13-year-old, and she just liked hanging out, you know. She was really, she did very well in school. She made all A's. Hmm. So she was very smart, very smart girl. What was it like, uh, and this is uh, maybe kind of a unique situation for this disappearance, in that um, this disappearance occurs in Marathon, Florida, which is out in what we would call the Keys of Florida down there. Uh, the the isla, chain of islands connected by uh, that highway, and that, that it's kind of a unique situation. I know you don't do not live there anymore. How did that affect some of your um, your upbringing? As uh, what do you mean? How did it just affect well, my you know, a very unique situation living out there. You know, kind of a small town, but yeah, you know, so far, I guess, away from the mainland. Um, you know, kind of a touristy spot, I would think. You know, how does yeah. that affect, what, what fun did you find to do as kids out there? Well, I mean, my mom moved us down there when uh, when I was 13, so, and Jennifer would have been, uh, let's see, well, she was five years younger than I am, so I don't know the mm-hmm. math on that right off the top. Okay. Um, so, I mean, and we were born and raised in the city, so moving down to a small little island was kind of, a big adjustment for all of us. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, for the most part, for fun, uh, just hanging out with friends. Um, they did have a little small movie theater. There was a public pool, the Faro Blanco. We would go there often. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, me personally, we did a lot of bridge jumping. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Jumping off yeah. the bridges into the water, yeah. into the Gulf. Yeah. There were certain ones that we could jump off where it was safe enough where we could jump if you knew how. So, and yeah, that was always fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. But yeah, other than that, that was, I mean, Marathon mm-hmm. 
there really wasn't much for teenagers to do, honestly. Yeah, so. that, that's what I, that's what I was thinking too. So yeah, okay. Um, all right. So you were there. You you were not you weren't there. You weren't born there. You were raised there. Uh, you moved there when you were thirteen. I guess she would have been nine at the time. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, let's just talk about some of these things. And we realized that at the time of her disappearance, you did not live at home anymore. In fact, you'd moved out. I guess. I guess what would be considered a very young age. Uh, you're already out of the house at 17. But um, Jennifer would come over to your house, uh, you know, maybe after having problems with Sue. Uh, can you explain some of those? Do you remember some of those situations and how they would arise in, in your side of it? Um, well, she'd just come to the house if my mom and her guy kind of got into it. She'd come over, and my mom knew she'd come over to the house, and, you know, she'd spend a couple of days, you know, to give it time to cool down, and then, then she'd go back home, you know, and whenever she came came over, it was just like, okay, she was just hanging out, you know, we really didn't discuss anything, we just, just hung out. Mm-hmm. She, yeah. And how long would she stay? Uh, would she just till the next day, or would you yeah, kind of have to be? Just the uh, would yeah, you have sometimes. to be like a, a diplomat? Would you have to call your mother and kind of work things out between the two? What was the situation? No, because my mom would always. She knew when my sister would go, and my mom would just come over the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, after the first few times, she just kind of, like, like you know, my mom had told you, you know, whenever she would take off, she would always come to my house. So, so right. she knew my mom, my sister was coming there. So she would just give it a day, and uh-huh. she'd come over and come get her and take her home. And okay, um, all right. So she would come over, and and just the way you remember it, and I realize this disappearance is now twenty nine years old. But how many times would you say? that she came over to your house in a particular situation like this, because this seems to be the situation for a disappearance. Of course, she did not end up at your house, but in the past year, how many times would you say uh, she this had happened? Uh, just, a, just a guess. I, I want to say like about three or four times. They didn't argue often. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like an all-the-time thing. It was just yeah. mostly when... You know, she's 13, kids don't get their way, what do they do? They take off, they walk mm-hmm. away, you know, they, she was just one of those type of things. You know, my mom was very protective of us girls, especially, you know, so yeah. she, Jennifer would want to go somewhere, like to, you know, somewhere where my mom knew there would probably be some trouble, Jennifer, you know, and my mom would say, no, you couldn't go, and Jennifer would, you know, take All off. Right. Okay, she would storm out of there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and how far did you live from your mother's place at the time? This was going not on? far, not far. I want to say maybe a mile, mile okay. and a half. Wasn't okay. far. All right, and so I guess Jennifer would have walked that many times. Just walk. Yeah, yeah. We that was our thing. My um, we would walk everywhere, you know, down mm-hmm. there, and it didn't take us long to get to where we needed to go. There was really no need for us to have a car. So it was, okay. Yeah. yeah, okay, and uh, my understanding is to be able to walk that distance, you actually had to go out to the highway, to Highway 1. Yeah, yeah, but it was like a, I mean, if anybody's ever been to the Keys, it's one way in, one way out, yeah. so, and, I mean, the roads weren't even that busy, so it was all locals, everybody knew each other, so, mm-hmm. you know, they had the sidewalk, you walk on the sidewalk. Yeah, okay. Um, now... You know, and the listeners should know, and I'll be talking about this a little bit uh, later uh, in this episode, 
that, uh, of course, the plan was also to talk to Jennifer's mother, but she has had some health issues, and I'm not going to yeah. reveal what those health issues are. That would be wrong of me to do. But um, she fully supports Angela uh, doing this interview, but I will pass along uh, to the listeners later some of the conversations that I had with Sue from my notes uh, that I took extensively uh, starting, uh, of course, last summer. Um, but, you know, of course, in talking to your mother, and of course you know about this too, Jennifer did seem to have some, what I would call, and you see it in the outline that I made for this discussion, some discipline issues. Um, yeah. She was sent away for a time. Um, now, at the time, were you aware of them? And now I know that, of course, now in 2022, you are a mother. How do you look back at the that situation that was going on in you know 1992, 1993, uh, your impressions then and your impressions now? Well, my impressions then was, you know, I just figured she was just being a typical teenager. Yes, she had, her, you know, her and my mom had some, you know, issues. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, now that I've had children of my own, I look back and honestly, you know, I had the kind of same kind of situation with one of my sons. Uh, he would run away too and, mm -hmm. you know, which kind of, gave me flashbacks of when my sister went missing. So, mm -hmm, sure. So yeah, I've always, um, raising my children, I've always been very overprotective too, but not too much to where they wanted to rebel. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I didn't, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't home, so I didn't know yeah. what triggered my sister to, to run away. Uh, mm -hmm. but it was scary then, though. I mean, yeah. it's still scary. It's scary. Sure. It's... sure, of course it is. Of course it is. Um, did you ever see any of this uh, firsthand before you moved out? Did you ever see any of these things going on? No. Okay. I mean, Jennifer would get a little, you know, I think she had a little bit of anger issues. Okay. Um, yeah, she was a little wild one, but <laughs> nothing, nothing bad, you know, nothing... Uh -huh serious you know i just i don't know that's just how i saw it okay um, you know being there so, okay but, i mean she never really ran away ran away when i was home right no you, when she would get like as we've already talked about the it seems like it was pretty once again just three or four times in the you know before she went missing in uh, end of july of 1993 um you know three or four times but i'm sure you saw her a lot you know, you didn't just see her when she would walk over there after having an argument with Sue. I'm guessing you saw her a lot more than that. Yeah. You know, getting together. So, okay. What do you know about her being sent to this ranch? Uh, when did that happen? What do, you, what do you know about it? Do you remember how it was arranged? Or were you involved in that or all, at all? I realize you had some of your own things going on at the time, but what did you know about that? Uh, all I know was Jennifer had been at my house. Uh, she, um, and she had come to the house, come to my house. And my mom, uh, well, I got a knock on the door. It was from the police department, and they said that they were taking her to the sheriff's youth ranch. That's all I knew. That's it. I didn't know anything else. And my mom, I feel, my mom made chose that because she felt Jennifer would be safer and maybe get the counseling that she needed. Mm -hmm. You know, and it seemed to have worked, you know, because when she did get out of the sheriff's, it was like her whole mindset had changed. 
So with her mm. disappearing the way she did, it just totally didn't make sense to none mm. of us, honestly, because mm-hmm. it was, she was a totally different Jennifer when she came out of the youth ranch. Wow. Yeah. What, okay, uh, just some maybe some general details about this ranch. Where is it, and how long do you think she was there? Once again, I realized that you were not her parent. You were doing had your own things going on. But what do you remember about those general details? I do not even... I know it was in Florida. I want to say it was... I don't know if it was Isla Morada or a little bit up north more. I don't mm-hmm. even remember where the Sheriff's Youth Ranch was. I'm so okay. sorry. I don't remember that. Okay. Um, uh, I knew that when she was there, she was getting counseling. She was doing well in school, which Jennifer always really did really well in school. She was a straight-A student. Um, she was, you know, she was seeing doctors for her eyes and she was getting her teeth, you know, taken care of and everything like that, which they supposedly don't have any documents of that, but she did. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, she was getting, you know, she was good there. She was safe there and she was doing very well. And like I said, when she got out, her, my mom's relationship was, it seemed to me stronger than ever, you know, so Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, yeah. so this is a, a ranch run by the state, or the local, you know, for um, children who um, with uh, behavior problems or something like that. And the, and the state of Florida here tries to uh, give them the counseling that they need. Maybe they're not getting it, you know, locally. Right. Something like that. Okay. I'm any. Assuming yeah. Okay, and how long do you remember she was there? Was it a month? Was it three months? Six months? Oh, gosh. I want to say maybe six months or more. All right. So sure. fairly long. Yeah. Fairly she long. She was there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we have to remember he hasn't come. Uh, I don't know how much he's going to be a part of this discussion, but you have a brother as well. And he yeah. uh, he is younger. Uh, he's mm-hmm. the youngest child. He's younger than Jennifer. Yeah. He was nine years old at the time of her disappearance. And he lived at home with Jennifer and your mother, Sue. Yes. Okay. All right. So she gets sent to this ranch and then she comes back and any memory of how long she was home uh, before she went missing, as you stated, uh, she's seen, there seemed to be a change in yes. her. The, yeah. that, that time away and whatever was done there seemed to help her. Was she home a month, uh, three months, any idea? Um, I don't. It's been so far... Okay. Long ago, I don't remember. I don't. I know it wasn't too long after, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, because I know that she had gone out, and my mom had told her, "Hey, you know, one of your friends from, I want to say Miami, uh, mm-hmm. was in town because he only lived like right down the road." And uh, yeah. she, that's why Jennifer wanted to go down and see him, and my right. mom allowed it, you know, and gave her a curfew and everything like that. So okay, so it's very so, possible that. She came back from this ranch, uh, you know, came back home uh, just that summer. Yeah. You know, and it could be that just a month later or even a month and a half later, she went missing. Very I I don't, I can't really, I'm sorry. That's all right. I wasn't actually living with them when this happened. I get it. So it was, and I was all wrapped up with, you know, I was destiny. I had my daughter when, Mm. you know, like months after Jennifer went missing. So. Right. I, I completely understand. I, all I'm establishing is that really that's a very close time frame there. It, it, yeah. And I don't know how much this has to do with her disappearance or not, but we just have to understand that she was gone away for several months at this ranch. She comes back and then not, just not long, it could be 
could be three weeks, it could be a month and a half, it's still, you know, not that long. That then I she went missing. Maybe three months, two, three months after, mm. I want to say, because the, the, the person that she wanted to go see, you know, he mm. didn't come in, in town often. He would come down and visit his dad, okay. you know, every so often. So, yeah. Okay. So overall, your impression, once again, you've just talked about why you had your, you know, you're living on your own, you had your th own things going on. But your impression was that after she came back from this, you, she, she and your mother were getting along better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So let's move up to, and we have to understand that um, you were not there, but, uh, and I will be talking about, you know, what your, what uh, Sue, your mother, Jennifer's mother, uh, told me about this uh, evening. But what is your understanding about what happened between, uh, or, or what happened that evening to cause Jennifer to walk off? Uh, on July 30th, 1993. What's your understanding? Okay, so the what I was told, you know, um, was that, you know, my mom had gone down and asked, told Jennifer that it was her time to come in, you know, her curfew was up, and, you know, I guess Jennifer had asked my kind of get like 10, 15 more minutes. My mom agreed, but, you know, she wanted her home in those 10, 15 minutes. Um, after those 10, 15 minutes, she didn't return. My mom went down. To remind her, hey, Jennifer, you know, it's time to come in. And I guess her and my sister had a, uh, my sister said a few words to my mom and then she took off. She stopped. She walked off. Yeah. Okay. She and, said, I guess she said she wasn't coming back or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly. Okay. So, and you, what you're referring to is something you said a moment, a couple minutes ago that uh, Jennifer was down talking to this boy who was from the mainland, I guess you'd say, of Florida. He was down there with his parents. She she knew this boy from previous summers or something? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so they were hanging out, just hanging out outside and just yeah. down the block, and it's getting dark. And, uh, of course, in July, it's going to not get dark till 9 o'clock or something like that. But Yeah, I think my mom had given her curfew at like 9 or 10. I couldn't remember. Okay, and so she... Uh, goes down there to try to get Jennifer to come home. Jennifer's hanging out. She says she'll be home. And uh, when she doesn't, Sue goes down there again. They get into maybe a short, very short argument. And Jennifer walks off. Yes. All right. And my understanding in talking to Sue is she thought, well, this is like those other times that she thought um, that she Jennifer was going to walk to, yeah, to, gonna walk yeah. to your house. Why? Because this has happened before. Totally, yeah. totally logical thinking. I do have to ask, uh, is it your understanding that your brother, who was nine at the time, was a witness to this? Uh, the listeners should know that I've spoken to him once, but I've not spoken to him since. But, um, you know, do, was he a witness? Was he walking down there with your mother? Or was he hanging at home? Do you even know? Uh, I think so. I don't even know for sure, honestly. I wasn't there, so mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm only going by what I was told. Yeah. So, I don't know, for sure. Okay. So, she uh, walks off, and your mother thinks um, that she's going to your house. Do you, do you remember anything specifically about your day, that day, separate from her being over there? Do you remember anything? Um, did, you know, did, uh, for example, when Sue got back to her house after Jennifer stopped off or uh, walked off, did she, like, call you to say, hey, I think Jennifer's headed your way? Anything like that? No, because cell phones weren't a really big thing back then. Mm. So my mom would, like, drive over to my house. Okay. And she, you know, she asked me, is Jennifer here? And I was like, no. She told me Jennifer 
walked off. So, huh. I mean, we helped. You know, I got in a car with my mom, and we would we drove around trying to find her. Went to some of her friends' house and everything. Tried to find her, couldn't find her. Mm-hmm. So, but I didn't know until the next day because my mom yeah. thought that maybe she was just. You know, I know my mom was out looking for her that night because she couldn't. Yeah. You know, how do you? The, how does she just disappear? Like just gone? Just you know what I mean? Yeah. It makes no sense. So my mom was just driving around, trying driving the neighborhood, trying to see if he, she could catch a glimpse of her. And, Okay. And my mom came over the next day, and she was just probably thinking that Jennifer might have been at my place, and she wasn't. And then that's when we we kind of just kind of took the day and just drove around and everything like that. So you didn't find out until the next day, and that you the way you found out Jennifer was missing is your mom shows up, and she's <laughs> expecting Jennifer to be there, and Jennifer's not there. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. All right, so the, the, the night before, she goes stomping off, and your mother thinks, well, I'm going to try to track her down. She isn't able to track her down, but she never does end up at your house that night. Uh-uh. Not until the next day, which, once again, kind of seems like uh, what had happened before. At that time, of course, I, I realized that your family, you, your brother, your mother, worried, you know, very, very worried. Yeah. Especially course, considering... Yeah. Uh, that, you know, how it usually went and it was different this time. Any mm-hmm. particular idea that jumped into your mind? Were you even thinking about that at the time? Did you think maybe somebody did pick her up or could she have gone to somebody's house? Maybe she yeah, backtracked okay. to this boy's house where he was staying with his parents. Anything that you remember 29 years later? Uh, the only thing that I could think of at the time was, you know, her friend's house. And she had a lot of friends at the, uh, there's an apartment complex behind the Kmart over there. So that was the first place we hit. We was asking everybody there and mm-hmm. they they hadn't seen her. And we, we went to the, the Rock, which was another subdivision. They called it the Rock, um, mm-hmm. you know, where she knew a lot of people there and they hadn't seen her. And, you know, we just just checked everywhere. I mean, I didn't think anything out of the order. I mean, it's a small little town. You don't expect something like this to happen. You know, you just don't. Of course you don't. And maybe I should ask you about that. Um, Being that you moved there when you were 13, so you were there for like about four years before this happened. Would you say that you got a safe feeling living in Marathon, Florida? What would you say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. I mean, it was so, like, everybody knew each other. You know, they, everybody knew we went to, we all went to school together, you know, and we had some of the kids from Big Pine that went to school with us. And so, yeah, everybody just knew each other. So I felt safe. I mean, I was, I'm an itty bitty. I'm only 5'2", and at the time only 98 pounds. And I, I felt safe to walk down the, down the road at, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I walked everywhere. I was not afraid of walking around. So, yeah. Okay. Um, would you say this uh, area, of course, I think a lot of people, um, at least in the United States who know the Keys, maybe people in other countries who listen to this program don't even know what Key West and that part of Florida is, but for people in the United States, I think they do. Did you get? Is this part of the area you, that you would call a touristy area of the Keys, or is it more established people who, who just really live there? Yeah, it was more established people that lived there. The touristy part would be like down towards Key West and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. where we lived at in Marathon, it was more like locals. They lived there. They were established there. They had been there for years, you know. Mm-hmm. So there was a few that would, you know, travel back and forth. It was their vacation home. But 
mm-hmm. for the most part, they were all established. Okay. When did you uh, or your mother, I suppose your mother, uh, get the the police involved? And this would be the Monroe, Monroe County Sheriff's Office. How soon were they involved in trying to figure out what happened to Jennifer? Well, in my opinion, I don't really think they were involved much. But I know my mom got them involved, like, immediately, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. They had to because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Jennifer was like on a grace period. You know what I mean? Oh, from the ranch? She had to behave herself? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, the the missing persons report was filed with Monroe County by the police. Yes, by my my mom. I'm sure it was pretty Mm -hmm. uh, immediately. My mom, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and we're going to talk about this FOIA uh, that, uh, of course, a lot of listeners already known about know about it, although they might not have known it was connected to Jennifer's case, but when it been conclu- when I got it and, of course, passed it on to you and your mother uh, last year, uh, we found out they did quite a bit, but we'll get to that. But at the time, the way you were viewing it, it didn't seem like they were doing a lot. No, they didn't. There was no, like... Amber Alert, or no, like, there wasn't anything, like, oh yeah, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll look into it, you know, but I don't feel like they really did anything, honestly, I really mm-hmm. don't. This is, uh, and the reason I think this disappearance is uh, somewhat unique in, in Unfound covering it is because you essentially live on an island, mm-hmm. and uh, if you want to walk away, there's only one way to walk out, and that's on mm-hmm. Route 1. In yep. contrast to your average American town, there's like 20 ways if, yep. uh, you know, man or woman, boy or girl, whoever wants to leave. There's many different ways they could go and there's usually woods and, and you know, and everything. Okay. And it's this is just an island and you're surrounded yep. by water yep. with one highway yep. that you'd think if she was walking on that highway to like get out of town that somebody would have Fear. seen her. You know, a 13-year-old yep. walking on the road I think would stick out. Okay, oh, yeah. so so... In addition, there's not that many people there, mm-hmm. you know, between where your mother lived and where you lived. There's not that many houses. As you said, it, it's a mile. Uh, I think Maryland, Florida. Well, there was a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of residentials. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a trailer park that she would have had to walk past. There were businesses that she would have had to walk mm-hmm. past. There were houses that she would have had to walk past. I mean, people had to have seen if she walked past that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because there were like side streets that she could have like dipped and and went through, but for the main part, I mean, she's just gonna walk straight from my mom's to my house and on the on that road. Then yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sure she was seen for sure. The the work that you and your mother did, of course, you filed this missing persons report. But I, I know that you and your your mother continued to work on this, and of course, mainly her. Once again, we had your own things going on. But uh, did any of her friends, anybody who knew Jennifer well, have any, the way you remember it now, have any ideas, any uh, anything at all that um, they could, any help, any suspicions, theories at all? No, and they were actually, I, none, of the, none of her friends just didn't hear from her. They didn't know anything, and... I mean, to this day, there's a couple of them 
that mm-hmm. you know I still stay in contact with that you know they still like I still haven't figured out you know asking me questions if I've heard from my sister or anything like that and mm-hmm. like they're baffled it is just as much as we are okay so being that we've brought up Monroe County they are still to this day responsible for her disappearance that's where I got the the Freedom of Information Act uh, uh, paperwork from it was 600 some pages but I think this is important. Uh, let's talk about this interaction that you had with a Deputy Watson uh, at some point with Jennifer. You were actually a party to this. This was, I think, well before she went missing. But why don't you tell us about this encounter? Um, it was an incident uh, where he had told both my sister and I that if we ever wanted to disappear or not be found, he would help us. He said that. He said that. He where, said, you know, where, how do you, I, I think we're going to need a little more context to this. How did you run into him? Where were you and Jennifer? How did this even come up? Did you ever have any interactions with him before? What, can you, what, maybe you can tell a little bit more about that. Yeah, it was uh, one of the times that I had run away prior to moving out. That I ran away. Okay. Uh, it wasn't nothing bad. I was just being a typical 16-year-old trying to spread her wings, you know. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to do things, and mom, like I said, being overprotective was kind of like, no, it's not a good idea. So I went anyway, and of course she, you know, filed for a missing persons on me, and we ran into David, and David is the one who found me, but Jennifer was with me. Mm-hmm. And he had turned around and he's like, you know, he's like, if you ever want to just, you know, if you want to disappear, just let us know. We'll help you, you, you know, to where you can't be found. And he's, I kind of, it, it kind of looked, I, I looked at Jennifer and Jennifer looked at me and I was just like, that's something odd to say for a police officer to say to us, mm-hmm. you know, it was awkward. It was weird. I didn't know how to even respond to that, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so he was like in the process of bringing you home or, or something like that, or honestly, no, he found me, but Mm -hmm. he didn't bring me home. Okay. So he, he was looking for you because this is something you ran away. Um, and, uh, when you were found, that's when he said to you and Jennifer was Mm -hmm. there as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did you, and I, I believe your mother told you about this, or maybe Sue even heard that herself. I'm not sure she had heard it or not. I don't think so. She mm-hmm. wasn't anywhere near us when he okay. said it. Yeah, right. she didn't even know where I was, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, so how we have a person uh, in a law enforcement capacity. Uh, you've just been found after... Uh, having you having an argument or having a, you know, you reduce wanted to, uh, a little more freedom, just like mm-hmm. it sounded like Jennifer did. Maybe this is something uh, between the both of you. And this is what he said to you. Yes. Okay. All right. And after that, did you, I know you wouldn't know for Jennifer, but for yourself, did you ever have any contact with Deputy Watson after that? After that, yeah. I can't remember. I can't remember. I don't think so. Okay. There was that one incident I told you about, but mm-hmm. but that was before. Why don't you go through that one as well? Um, we had, I guess, uh, I, I think I told you where my sister and I had 
gone to his house for some reason or another. I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. Like I said, everybody knew everybody. Yeah. And um, when we got there, he opened the door in his underwear. And wow. me and Jennifer took off. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I told my mom about it. And mm-hmm. my mom, you know, freaked out about it, confronted mm-hmm. him about it. He denied it, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that incident. All right. So there was this underwear incident and him saying that to you about if you ever yeah. want to run away. Yeah. All right. Wow. Okay. And we'll come back to Watson here in a little bit. Now, the uh, looking through the paperwork, and we're going to talk about the paperwork in a little more detail later, but uh, the person who was responsible for, I guess you want to call him an investigator, but they don't have a missing persons unit, of course, in the Monroe County Sheriff's Office or anything, as most police departments don't. But uh, he was the one who did most of the, the main per- paperwork at the beginning back in 1993 in the next few years. What do you remember uh, about him? Oh, are we talking about Detective Lawson? We are, yes, please. Okay. I really didn't much like him at all. Um, I knew I had heard of him uh, hosting parties for underage kids. Um, Mm -hmm. I just, I just didn't like him. I get this, I always got this really bad, you know, vibe about him. So I really didn't get much interaction with him. So. Had you ever, so you're saying you had heard of him before Jennifer went missing? Yeah. Okay. And in regards to once the, these parties or whatever that he was holding at his house, uh, you had heard about this from your friends or how did you know about it? Well, I had heard about it from, I just want to call her an acquaintance because I really wasn't really much of a friend of hers mm-hmm. or, yeah, vice versa. But she had told me about the parties because she would go to them. Okay. All right. And this is the guy who then became responsible for uh, the investigation into Jennifer's disappearance. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, so we have these two guys. And I'll, I'll just uh, speak to both of them uh, he, uh, right now, being that you've had talked about your interaction with them. Maybe I should ask you this first. After Jennifer went missing, um, did you have much interaction with uh, Investigator Lawson, Deputy Lawson at all? Uh, no. None? No. Nope. Zero. Yep. And that's what's so funny is because, I mean, if Lawson's a detective on the case... Why didn't he, you know, he wouldn't he want to investigate or talk with the, you know, the sister or all any family members that might be able to help mm-hmm. him find, you know, and I'd never, he never came to the house or talked to me or anything. Okay. Do you even know how much he like went, uh, once again, we're going to get to the FOIA, maybe there was an, maybe he did more than uh, you were, you knew at the time, we're going to talk about that, but um, going door to door, talking to people, didn't you didn't know anything about that? I don't think uh-huh. Sue any, heard anything about that as well. Nope, I didn't hear any about any of that. Okay. The flyers that were put up was because of my mother. My mother had them printed out, and mm. we posted them. Yeah. Okay. 
Now, the listeners should know, and you can just uh, relax here for a few minutes, Angela. I did, in hearing about these things, going back uh, to when we first started talking last summer, uh, I looked these two guys up, and uh, for Detective Lawson, who was the person responsible, at least originally, he's not had a very good life uh, since 1993. Uh, He eventually had uh, several run-ins with the law himself, and this is public record. I don't think I'm uh, saying anything private uh, because I was easily able to obtain this information on the internet that uh, it seems that he has had a drinking problem for a long time. And uh, as Angela also knows and Sue uh, also knows, uh, I had a chance, although this guy is uh, off the record, does not want his name mentioned or any uh, thing else, but I had a chance to talk to somebody uh, in the Moreau County Sheriff's Office, that's all I'm going to say, who knew uh, Lawson, and he did, did not have a very high uh, opinion of him at all. All right, so a fellow uh, law enforcement officer did not think very highly of him. Not at all. I'll just say that. So for Deputy Watson, and going back to this is the guy who answered the door in his underwear, who um, said, if you ever want to disappear, just come find me. That's what he said to both you and Jennifer. Um, uh, Maybe a year before Jennifer went missing, uh, Deputy Watson ended up becoming a, a drug dealer. And he had drug charges, trafficking uh, drugs, not in Florida, but he had moved to another state and got in trouble there. And even by the time that, if you can believe this, by the time that Jennifer went missing in 1993, I think he was on his fourth marriage. Uh, And he wasn't that old of a guy. But unfortunately, though, uh, Deputy Watson is now deceased. And he's been dead for some years. So any chance to talk to him is long gone about any of this. But we now have but we have two um, deputies in this department who seem to have issues. One became a drug dealer and spent some time in jail for it. The other one had some drinking issues. I feel very, very bad for that, but I think that we have to think about that. And and something else uh, in researching people in the Marathon, Florida area. It should be known that there was also, and this is also public record, so it's a factual, so I can talk about it. There was a Deputy deputy Batson, so there was Watson, W-A-T-S-O-N. But there was also a Deputy Batson, B-A-T-S-O-N. And what I discovered regarding him, and it really was just completely by accident that I discovered this, he later in the 90s was uh, moved to uh, another police department in Florida, and I think it was Tallahassee, and he eventually was fired from that job there because of having inappropriate communications with underage children. Yeah, and I believe, um, I don't mean to interrupt, but I Please. believe uh, Batson was the one that lived on the middle school property mm-hmm. when we were all attending school there. So, okay. I mean, who's to say he, you know, yeah. Jennifer ran into him? I don't know. Well, we're not going to theorize too much, but we just have right. to understand that 
there were people in positions of authority who could be responsible for finding Jennifer and just doing this research over 25 years later, uh, I was able to discover at least three of them had, you know, not three very good guys. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not, the, every other person who worked in the sheriff's office might have been completely perfect. But unfortunately, uh, you have two guys who are kind of associated with Jennifer's disappearance in that one knew her, saying those things to her that, Angela, you've already talked about, and the other one who's actually an investigator, not very good guy's problems. And then just by accident, running into another one who uh, maybe five years later uh, had, some, had a, a charge against them to the point of being fired that you could connect maybe with children going missing. Mm-hmm. When you hear about adults having, whether they're in law enforcement or not, having inappropriate communication with children. And all of this information will be posted uh, up, uh, coming up to the point of this episode coming out. So all of you can see it. Once again, it is all public information. All right, so we have all of that. Um, I have to ask you this. We do not theorize on this program, but I'm just going to you know, ask you a, a yes or no question. At the time, did you ever get the feeling that, the law, that law enforcement believed that your mother caused Jennifer's disappearance? Yes. They tried to blame her. Yeah. Okay. All right. However, on the other hand, in speaking to your mother in the days, weeks, months, and even years after Jennifer went missing, did you and your mother ever get the idea that maybe somebody in law enforcement could have been responsible for Jennifer's disappearance? Both, yes. Well, my mother and I, yes, we Mm -hmm. did believe that somebody in law enforcement was involved. Right. And um, that will come up in the FOIA information because of things that your mother told um, investigators years later. Okay. Uh, and I, and everyone should know, once again, I was able to contact and I appreciate this guy talking to me. Uh, I hope to talk to him again before this episode comes out, but, um, his, uh, as far as he knows, but he was not responsible for Jennifer's disappearance at the time that she went missing in 1993. He's told me that at no time to his knowledge was Sue, Perry, Jennifer's mother, ever a suspect. That's what he said. Well, and then, yeah, I, I know, but they yeah. made her, like, yeah. whoever was on the case, they made her feel like she was. Right. I mean, DCF or whatever it is down there, they interrogated her. They tried her, tried to make her look like mm-hmm. a bad mother. They would. They went to school and harassed my brother, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where they even took him out during his lunchtime and had to skip his lunch just so that they could question him and stuff like that which is totally wrong why do that so you know my brother was already traumatized because he has a sister yeah yeah i I get it i I get it uh the issue though is just as in 1993 as it is now in 2022 when children go missing usually the the parents are responsible a high percentage of the time it's a you know it's disgusting of course it's horrible but the that continues to be the facts and i think that yeah. was the fact even well before 1993, maybe even going back to the, the beginning of time. So um, that is something that has to be considered. But if anybody, the listeners, are listening to this, I actually asked this person who would be in a position to know. 
and he mm -hmm. said that Sue Perry officially was not considered to be, uh, at no time was considered to be a suspect in Jennifer's disappearance. All right, so we now, now brings us um, to this. Uh, you living there, uh, you do not live there anymore, but had you ever heard before or since of any other children going missing in the marathon or just whole, the whole Key West uh, area at all? No, none. none. Nope. Okay. Any, uh, you moving there when you were 13 and had you ever heard of any kids being abducted and then being found? Any children, your friends have any stories about walking along the road and some stranger trying to lure them into their car? Any stories like that that you remember from back at the time in the early 90s? Nope. No. Zero. None. Okay. Yeah. I, um... Submitted the paperwork. Uh, as the listeners know, I don't usually get into too much FOIA work because you never know uh, what you're going to get. You usually have to wait a long time. But when I found out about Jennifer's disappearance, and I, and I had the idea that maybe this wasn't going to be a disappearance I was going to cover right at that second. I thought we had some time, and of course it's been some time. It's been six months. I decided to submit uh, the paperwork needed to the Monroe County Sheriff's Office, and I had made the decision, maybe you don't know this, Angela, but if it was, if they had told me it was only like 30 pages or something, you know, I don't know how much, you know, we would really get out of that. Right. But as the listeners now know, and you know, because I, I sent it to you as I sent it to your mother as well, it ended up being 600-some pages. Uh -huh. And what was your impression when you found out that the Jennifer's file with the Moreno County Sheriff's Office uh, was over 600 pages. How, how, how was, surprised with you, astounded, before you even looked yes. at it, before you even looked at it, what was your response? Like, wow, like I was, I was like, why is it so many pages and how come we've not really, I mean, if it's that many pages, then we would have been included in some of them, you know, the mm -hmm. discussions or, you know what I mean? But we weren't really how did they come up with all these pages and why weren't we notified with, you know, some of the things that they supposedly might have found or mm -hmm. I was really shocked. I was like, wow, you know, why is it so big? You know, yeah. a large file. That's wow. Yeah. So did it, and it, um, did it fly in the face, I guess, of your impression that they were not doing anything at the time? I just have to, I have to ask. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, but the thing was, like I said, you know, mm -hmm. it they there was no news media, there was no newspaper yeah. article, there was no. nothing, nothing, nothing. So I don't even know. Like I was, I didn't even know what I was getting into when I started reading the files. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that was your impression when you found out it was six hundred some pages, and uh, they sent it to me. And I, and I want to thank the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. Or just the Monroe County administration, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they got back to me within the same day, and they nice. sent me that uh, information um, in a couple weeks. Now, they, nice. it, some of it is redacted, but not very much. Not very yeah, much. I think, and, I think maybe 25 pages, was it? Yeah, and some of, it, some of them are duplicates, but still, uh, there's probably 400-some pages of unique material there. So that was your impression 
uh, before you even read it. But just in general, we're going to get into some specifics. But after reading the whole thing or looking through it, I'm not saying you read every word, but looking through it, what was your impression? After reading everything, uh, honestly, I feel some people knew something and didn't say anything. Okay. On that note, uh, speaking to that, let's just go through, and I am going to make the FOIA available to everybody so they, everyone so they can see it for themselves. Uh, because uh, it's ours now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being that uh, and it should be known that we paid for it. So um, they willingly gave it up, and once you give it up something like that, we can make it public, and I guess Monroe County doesn't, doesn't uh, mind. Um, let's talk about Austin. Have you, had you ever heard him being mentioned? Uh, who is he? Because his name is mentioned prominently in this voice, somebody that they had t- talked to. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know why, honestly. Austin was just somebody that uh, was an acquaintance of my mother's. Uh, we knew him. I mean, we weren't very personable with him, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But so, and Jennifer didn't hang out with him. He was an older man, and, you know, just mm-hmm. uh, so I don't understand why Austin was even mm-hmm. in there. I'm feeling because of the uh, the girlfriend because Jennifer did know the girlfriend Natalie yes Natalie mm-hmm yeah do you think it could be because he is mentioned prominently the listeners will get to see that could it be because uh, Austin um, had a criminal record at the time and continued to have one after do you think that that I was didn't even honestly didn't even know he had a criminal record because again we didn't mm-hmm. really hang out with him or associate mm-hmm. with him, so mm-hmm. I didn't even know he had a criminal record till just now, until you just told me. So. Okay, so he does. He does, okay. and uh, I'm sorry, I, I did look that up. If I didn't send it to you, I will surely do that. Um, okay. An extensive criminal record. Uh, nothing involving children or anything, but uh, the listeners will be able to judge that for themselves. But he came up. Uh, is it your impression? I'll, I'm not here to put words in your mouth. But was it your impression in reading the FOIA that he was being questioned because of some rumors that were running around Marathon about Jennifer being seen with him? Is that your impression, or what do you think? I don't, again, I don't even know. I didn't even know that Jennifer was seen with him. Okay. I mean, if that was in the FOIA, I probably didn't get to that part, because okay. it was just so overwhelming to read everything. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not to... You know, put it on the back burner, but I do have work and I yeah, that I I I, work. I I I got you, and it's six hundred some pages, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, uh, so Austin uh, is mentioned prominently. Natalie is also mentioned, and they did yeah. end up uh, getting married at some point. Although I don't know if they're married now, but Austin is a lot older than Natalie. Natalie would have yeah. been maybe just a few years older than you. At the time, yeah, I think she was in her early. Well, uh, yeah, I think she was in her early twenty, or maybe even you know, like nineteen, twenty. Yeah, that's that's. She was young. That's what I think too. And Austin was well into his thirties or forties, yeah. or forties. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, I think they ended And um, for those of you who maybe aren't going to be able to get uh, to read the FOIA for whatever reason, uh, the, the police. Uh, investigators at the time, Lawson and maybe others, were following a lead. You know, a rumor that Jennifer had been seen with Austin after the disappearance date of July 30th. 
Uh, but it doesn't mm. seem like that ever panned out to be anything. Right. Let's move on to these people. We're not, um, and I we know Austin's last name, uh, Natalie's last name, but we're not mentioning last names. But um, same question regarding uh, Michelle. Did you know her? Uh, because she was somebody who Lawson, uh, Investigator Lawson, Deputy Lawson, seemed to really concentrate on in the weeks after going, um, talking to her multiple times. Did you know her? I knew of her. Okay, uh, you knew of her. And what would you say about her? I honestly don't have anything really to base an opinion on her. I didn't really know her, so... I mean, mm-hmm. her name had come up a couple of times, but... Mm-hmm. If I've ever met her, I don't remember. Okay. I was a very quiet kid. I pretty much stayed to myself. So. <laughs> That's fine. I'm just asking. Uh, so, once again, at the time in 1993, you even though you might have heard of her, you never heard of her being connected to Jennifer's disappearance. You never even knew no. that she was being questioned. No, I didn't know. I didn't know this. Yeah, I did mm. not know that Michelle was being questioned or anything. Okay. How about Shannon? Yes, I believe Shannon knows some things that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll just stop there, but yeah. Okay, so you knew Shannon? Yeah. Okay, would you say, uh, had you known about her before Jennifer went missing? Yes. Okay, how, how was that that you knew her? Just because it's a small town, or did you have any personal interaction with her? Um, I did when I was younger. I met her when we had just moved down to Marathon. Honestly, she was our neighbor. She was dating one of our neighbors. Hmm. Um, and at the time, she seemed pretty chill. You know, she was, I was like maybe 14, 13, 14 when I met her. Yeah, we'd hang out like, you know, right there at the, the house, you know, and she seemed okay. She didn't seem, but that was when she was younger. And then as she got older, I didn't hang out with her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was she a little bit of trouble? Yes. Okay. Yes, she was. Okay. And when people do get to look at the FOIA, and I will make sure this FOIA is available as much as I can, uh, but once again, it's 600-some pages. Uh, it will certainly be posted on Facebook. It will be on the website um, you know, as a downloadable file. Uh, so people can see what uh, the police had to say back at the time in 1993 and onwards. And you also see a lot of paperwork that gets into the 21st century. Police following leads of Jennifer being um, seen in, you know, possibly in other states and what the police did to try to figure out if that was really Jennifer or not. Um, what about uh, Derek and Lamont? Do you know anything about these guys? Did Jennifer know them? Uh, Jennifer knew them. I did not. And how how do you how do you know or how did she know them? I believe through school and through friends that uh, lived in the apartment complex behind Kmart. Okay. Uh, had did you ever meet them personally? Did you have any personal no. opinion of them? No, I never met them personally. Okay. At the time in 1993, did you or your mother ever suspect that they could have had anything to do with Jennifer's disappearance? Did that ever go through your mind? Not me, personally, not me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know about my, my mom, but I know not me because I, I didn't barely knew them. I just, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so those are some of the prominent names uh, in the FOIA. These were people who were questioned. They, their names came up in rumors that the police were following, people giving them 
<clears throat> bits of information, tips, but I think in our missing persons um, experience, we know how many of these tips never go anywhere. Uh, but uh, just to point one thing out in particular, and this was the whole thing between Michelle and Shannon, and, uh, you know, they didn't, it seems to me they were like friend of, I guess in a 21st century term, we would call them frenemies. And, yeah. and you know, and Natalie might have been involved in this as well, is it seemed that um, Lawson had gone to one of the houses more than once under the story that Jennifer was hiding in one of these women's places mm-hmm. and that he would show up and this person would allow him to go through looking for any signs Jennifer was there. He never found any signs that Jennifer was there, but it, that story kept, keep, kept popping up mm-hmm. that she was there. And it's hard to determine whether this was kind of a mean girls thing. One just trying to get the other in trouble or, you know, if there was something actually truthful to this and you know, not that this was like years after her disappearance or maybe not even weeks, but certainly maybe in the week or two weeks after Jennifer went missing, that this is something that he was following but never could find any proof that Jennifer had ever been at this house. But you did not know, and your mother, for all you know, did not know any of this was going on in 1993. I didn't. I did mm-hmm. not know. I don't, I don't think your mother did I can't either. Speak, yeah. I think, My um, mother's never said anything about it, so I'm just, I'm just going to mm-hmm. say that it's safe to assume that she didn't know either, but yeah. I know I didn't know. Yeah. So they were keeping, uh, I think, a tight lid on this for whatever reason. It very well may be they just didn't tell you or your mother, or your your brother's only nine nine years old. But um, maybe just because they didn't want to get your hopes up, and maybe they felt it was something they need to follow up on, but they thought the odds of it being true were very, very low. So that could be the reason, and when nothing... You know, popped up. Then they're like, "Well, we really don't have to tell the family about it." it. Ended up being nothing, just some vicious rumor that might just, you know, upset you more. Right. So that's and that happens. So I don't yeah. necessarily say there's anything um, suspicious about it. The problem we have is that the the person doing this investigation uh, ended up losing his job because of his own personal issues, and we had other people who could have been involved. Batson, Watson, who might have said, hey, while out in patrol, be looking for Jennifer Perry while you're riding around. But these guys weren't the greatest people either. Yeah, they probably could have seen her and just not said anything. mm, It's possible. So, uh, and, uh, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh Now, let's move on to this. And this is another deputy, and this is another person. We're not going to use his name, but everybody should know he is now deceased. He just died within the last couple years. What do you know uh, about a statement, uh, and did your mother tell you about this when it happened, that a deputy said to your mother, if you want to know what happened, investigate the sheriff's office. Did you know about yes. this comment? Yes, yes. My mom told me immediately when she found out. Let's, well, let's yep. talk. I realize you were not a party to this, and I will do my best mm-hmm. afterwards to kind of maybe fill in a few of the blanks, but when did this happen? When, do you, when, did, you, when did she tell you that this happened? And what did you think about it, uh, et cetera? Uh, I can't honestly, I honestly cannot remember how long after Jennifer disappeared where, when she was told this, but I do remember my mom coming to me and telling me, you know, mm-hmm. that this is what she was told. And it actually kind of shocked me a little bit. I'm like, 
well, you know, what are we going to do about this? You know, with this information, if he's telling us that we should do this, what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. But my mom was afraid that nobody would believe her or listen to her. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and what your mother told me is that when these stories, of course, she knew about the story about what Watson said to you and Jennifer the year before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she knew, of course, about you going to his house and uh, him being in his underwear, answering in his underwear, even though it was too, you know, it's not appropriate to answer the, the door for anybody. But it seems yeah. even more, you know, um, even more, 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 more uh, inappropriate if it's two girls yeah. at the door, because uh, everybody yep. checks to see who's outside before you open the door. Um, mm-hmm. We have um, De- uh, Deputy Lawson, who had his own personal issues. We have this Batson. And your mother, uh, you know, passed on to me. She really didn't know who she could trust. Yeah, she didn't. She really didn't. Mm-hmm. She talked about that. And then yeah. on top of this was even before this guy said this to her. And, yeah. You know, and then this was said yeah. to her. But um, unfortunately, that but, still 29 years later has not gone anywhere. Yeah. And what I, what I don't understand either is if this person, you know, who said this to my mother, if he knew that possibly that the police department had something to do with it, why could he... Why didn't he do something about uh, it? And, th- and that's the flip yeah. side of this. And I th- I'm glad you brought that up, Angela, because I think that's a very enlightened view. Mm-hmm. That we always have to be... We, we like whistleblowers, okay? But we, we, we get suspicious of whistleblowers who obviously continue to work somewhere after complaining about their own company or, or a law enforcement agency or anything. Right. They complained. They said they were doing all these illegal things, but the person continued to work there anyway. Yeah, it, yep. it damages their credibility. I'm not saying this guy was lying, but it po- it causes us to well question. Yeah, question it and really not you know jump to any conclusions. Mm-hmm. For all we know, this guy might have been wanting to get somebody's job and was hoping he'd get somebody else fired. You know, he'd get a promotion right. by getting somebody else in trouble. For all we know. But your mother did tell you about this, and uh, and we and your mother and I did talk about that. Let's move, um, but we're not going to use his name. And like I said, he is uh, deceased, just like uh, former Deputy Watson is, as is Deputy Batson, by the way. Um, this courtroom sighting, uh, did you know about it at the time? Did your mother know about uh, tell you about it? What do you know about it? I was actually told... Uh, by somebody, I can't remember who it was that had told me, but they had they had seen like somebody that looked like Jennifer sitting between a, a gentleman and a woman, and they were both described as, if I can say it, Watson and his fiance at the time. They weren't quite they weren't married yet, mm-hmm. and they were sitting in the courtroom. And Jennifer was, she was described as being slouched over, which Jennifer did. She slouched. And she was just sitting there in the courtroom. So I don't know mm-hmm. what they were doing there, if it's been, you know, if that was investigated or anything of that nature. So, no. This is, and this is another topic that is in that extensive FOIA. I cannot tell you what page it's on, but it's in there. And there were some comments made by, was it Lawson or one of the other people who might have been helping him with this investigation, that they tried to look into this. And, and uh, the, the source of this story is in there, and 
in the end, it seemed that the sheriff's office dismissed the sighting. But it is noteworthy that uh, whoever came forward about this, and once again, I think that person's name is in this FOIA, but I think she is deceased now too, um, brought this forward and they looked into it. And yes, this person, the guy allegedly looked like Deputy Watson. This is the guy okay. that um, answer, you know, we now know said that to you and Jennifer about wanting to disappear. And it was, he was allegedly with one of his wives. And in fact, uh, what your mother told me is he actually saw her somewhere and actually went out of his way to say that he was going to be moving. He was getting married yep. and he was going to be moving. Yep. I said that. It, and it, yeah. she seemed, it seemed so weird to her because she didn't know him at all. Yeah, yeah. He told my mom, I believe he said that he was moving towards South Carolina. Mm-hmm. That's right. And um, I don't think it, I don't know if it was South Carolina where he got in trouble. I think it was North Carolina, but um, yeah, he got in some trouble after after, uh, he got out of there. And it's. um, I don't know. I don't know if my mom had told you this, but a few years after Jennifer went missing, uh, it. My mom was always on the computer trying to find leads Mm -hmm. for my sister, always, you know, even years later, she, you know, and it showed up on, I want to say, I don't know if it was the Charlie Project or the uh, Missing Persons, but it showed that Jennifer had been missing in South Carolina, which kind of like threw my mom off. My mom ended up contacting the agency and like, what do you mean? You know, she's been missing from Marathon. Florida, not South Carolina. How is she missing from South Carolina? And I and think then they removed it. Yeah, I think uh, where the confusion might have been, it might be explained in that FOIA, given that the Monroe County Sheriff's event, Sheriff's Office eventually. Now, this was after Lawson was gone. This was after Batson was gone. This was after all, all you know these people that we've talked about were all gone for one reason or another. That the the sheriff's office did an extensive um, investigation into a young woman who could have been her. Okay. There, that that's I think what it was, okay. and it ended. It turned out that this uh, woman could vouch for her prior history going back several years, well before Jennifer went missing. But there were a lot of uh, communications back and forth. Um. That the, that's in the paperwork trying to figure out could this be that Jennifer ran away and changed her identity or maybe kept her same name or changed slightly changed her name and then was in South Carolina and coincidentally where uh, Detective Watson went. The issue though is I think Watson actually ended up going to North Carolina, not South Carolina. And I, I think from what I've found, maybe his plan was to go to South Carolina and they just kept going until they got to North Carolina. I don't know. Right. So there's that. I think something else that we want to talk about the FOIA, and this came out later, that uh, I don't think we want to reveal where your mother lives now. She doesn't live in Marathon, Florida anymore. But much more recently, within the last, I think it was 12 years, 15 years, um, she had been interviewed by police in uh, that particular state. And doing, I think they were doing uh, the Moreau County Sheriff's Office a favor by going to talk to your mother about Jennifer's disappearance because Monroe County didn't want to send somebody the whole way to where she lives now. You know, I, I guess out of their pocket mm. flying somebody out there. But 
your mother reiterated just, you know, not in 1993, but I think that this conversation was like in 2010 or something like that. That's in the FOIA information that she continued. She talked about um, Monroe County Sheriff's deputies being involved in Jennifer's disappearance. She told Uh them that. And that is in the FOIA as well. And I think the reason I'm bringing it up is because uh, I think it's, even though, this, of course, a statement like that would not make Monroe County, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office, you know, being shown in a very positive light. I mean, it doesn't get more negative than that. Yeah. Uh, but it is included in the FOIA. It's not like they scrubbed it or dismissed yeah. it or anything else. It's right in there with all the other information. For anybody to see if they want to foul and, and get it and, and, and everything. So I, I think that that's good on them, that even though they're kind of getting trashed in the FOIA, that they include it in the information anyway. So right. there's that. Okay. So once again, being that we just talked about this FOIA and everybody, uh, if you have the time, all 600-some pages to go through it, I think you should. It's probably one of the most extensive FOIAs you're ever going to get to read. But I think we do need to talk about something else. And that is maybe one of the negative aspects of the FOIA. It does talk about your mother and these allegations against her. If you could, of course, I'd love to interview Sue, but once again, she's been having some health issues and did not think she was up to this inter- interview, which I understand. But, um, you know, some of the parts in that FOIA, you know, bring up some past things. I'd uh, like to give you, you a chance to defend your mother uh, regarding those things. Okay. Um, given that you know, in there, she it was alleged it was alleged that you know, she, child abuse and, and things like that. Can you can you talk about that? Because of course she says they're untrue. I, I'm perfectly willing to believe that. But being that we're doing this yeah. interview, you well, you are her daughter. Uh, what can you say about that? There was no child abuse. Um, there was. She was investigated and proven that there was none. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, she was a single mom doing the best she could, you know, and mm-hmm. she did a great job, I think, you know, she was just overprotective of us kids, mm-hmm. you know, which she had a, a bit of an upbringing, so I think that had a part to do with her, you know, raising, especially mm-hmm. us girls, she was very, she made sure that, you know, she was very overprotective, for sure. And we should know, for the record, despite this being looked into and it's in the FOIA, part of the information, that, of course, she, she never was charged anything, never had to go, uh, go to jail. The reason that Jennifer went to this ranch was not because of anything Sue did. Right. That was something that somebody decided that might be good for Jennifer, and it sounds like it might have been good for Jennifer. But it was mm-hmm. nothing because they were taking Jennifer out of her custody because they were afraid no. of suit. It was nothing like that. I'm gonna. Like, we cannot right. state that any stronger than that. Exactly. If they're going to take Jennifer, they would have took Brandon too, and they didn't. They, they did only not. took Jennifer. That's exactly yeah. right. So mm-hmm. these were things that were looked into. There was no basis for it, but because it was government work and it had something to do with Jennifer Perry, of course, she ended up going missing. Uh, that's why it is included in the FOIA. So if you're going to read it and you get to that part, I want to assure you that that nothing ever came of any of that at all. No. At all. No. Okay. How has this affected you, Angela? You are Jennifer's older sister, a big sister. 
you, uh, of course, it's been 29 years now, almost. It'll be 29 years in, in July. Um, how has this affected you? How did it affect you even afterwards? Um, you know, what, uh, what influence has had this had on your life? And maybe you, if you can speak for your mother too. Um, I know it crushed my mother. My mother's still, she still has a hard time with it. Like I, it's hard to talk about Jennifer to my mom, with my mom, because that's her baby, you know, and, um, how it's affected me. Um, I was protective with my children, but I think I kind of learned not to be too overprotective because I didn't want my children to, to run away. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was even protective of my boys, you know, and I'm, I, my son didn't run away because he was just 14 and got with the wrong crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, my, I think of my sister all the time, every single one of my children, they've never met their aunt Jennifer, but they know her, like they know her, they know my sister. Some of them have even named their children after her, you know, to keep her memory alive. So, um, I miss my sister. We were close. Mm -hmm. She was excited that, you know, when I told that I was pregnant with my first daughter, she, uh, she was so excited. I remember the day that I told her was, we were standing in front of the Kmart down there and I told her that you know I was gonna have a baby and she got so excited she's like she picked me up because she was a little bigger than I was so she just picked me up and swung me around she was so excited she was gonna be Aunt Jennifer and yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's really affected me I mean when my kids were little I know this sounds funny but when my kids were little they used to watch Barney and there was this one episode about uh, sisters, and I literally sat there and cried through the whole, the whole episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I miss yeah. my sister. I really miss yeah. her. Now you don't, neither your mother nor yourself, uh, or your brother, I believe, none of you live in Marathon anymore, but... How long uh, did you all stick around there um, before you uh, moved away? And I have to ask, was it was it tough to move, knowing that that is where Jennifer went missing? I think it was more tough on my mom to leave than it was for myself. I, I had to look out for the best interest of my children and the situation that I was in at the time. I had to get out of there. Okay. So... I think I left, I want to say, maybe two, three years after she went missing. I was mm-hmm. pregnant with my third daughter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And your mother continued to live there a little longer? A little bit longer, not mm-hmm. like maybe six months longer than that, because I ended mm-hmm. up, uh, my husband at the time ended up going down and getting her and my brother, and she okay. ended up coming and staying with us. Okay. All right. Uh, do you have a... Facebook page or something set up for Jennifer's disappearance? Um, I did, and for some reason I can't remember my Facebook <laughs> information. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember that information at all. It's been years, years ago mm-hmm. I, I signed up with it, and I've been trying to get the password to it. My mom's trying to tell me to contact uh-huh. Facebook themselves, and I've tried that, and just, I don't know. But I think my mom has one. Okay, I will, I uh, I will make sure... Up. I will make sure the listeners find out about it. Uh, if you're not on Facebook, 
uh, are having problems with the login or, or something, uh, we'll try to get that figured out for yeah, sure. Yeah. For sure. And the listeners should know, I think that um, I need to thank my uh, friend. She always gets mentioned every episode, but I'll, I'll mention her twice this episode. Um, Megan Lyonez from the Charlie Project, I think, was the one who uh, yeah. put me in, char- in, in touch with your mother in the first place. Yeah, I, I yeah think, my mom told me. She called me the next day and told me about it. She was so excited. Yes, uh, I think that happened last summer. Megan contacted me. I don't know how Megan and your mother ran into each other. Uh, I think you know. there was a mistake on the Charlie Project, and my mom called and contacted oh. her. And, yeah. Oh, is that how it happened? That's, that's news to me. I don't think Megan's told me that. All right, so that's how yeah. that happened. And she said, you know, there's this mother who... <laughs> lost her uh, daughter to a disappearance in, in back in 1993, and then that's eventually um, how your mother and I got to f- speak for the first time. And little did we know what we would find over the past six months, uh, yeah. especially regarding the FOIA. I could have never uh, guessed that when I first yep. spoke to your mother back last summer. Okay, Angela, any final words before we complete this interview? I can't think of anything. Okay, that's totally fine. Uh, you know, of course, probably better than most guests. Uh, I've uh, I've gotten to know you probably better than most of them, uh, being uh-huh. that we've talked so many times, texted so many times, uh, spoken to your mother as you know many many times. Yes, uh, and even... we both we all appreciate you know your positive. Uh, words of encouragement towards my mom's health we appreciate you checking on her and making sure she's okay we mm-hmm. appreciate everything you've done by getting the the files for jennifer and just being finally somebody that's a, that's willing to get her my sister's story out there we are so grateful for that you're very welcome it's, yeah you know you're very welcome uh, i will tell you that uh, all the, this is uh, 236 disappearances, 237 disappearances. You just never know what you're going to run into. Right. You, you just never know. Some disappearances are very uh, straightforward, and then there are others like Jennifer's where there are a lot of different possibilities. Yeah. And you never know where the information is going to come from. You think there's going to be a lot of information. There's not. You don't think there's going to be a lot of information that there is, and I think I would put Jennifer's in that category. I, I think everybody was surprised yeah. uh, regarding this, uh, regarding all the information. But I just try to do the best I can with any disappearance that's in front of me. Uh, you know, And that's, that's the way it was, and that's the way it will continue to be with Jennifer's. Right, you and I, we, we really appreciate it, honestly. We really do. Well, you're very welcome, and I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And that was my January 10th, 2022 interview with Angela Perry, sister of Jennifer Perry. I thank her for joining me and all of you on this episode. During my work on this episode over the past six months, I also had a chance to speak with Sue, Jennifer's mother. She wanted to be interviewed, but Sue continues to have some health struggles from 2021. She is confident, though, that she will make a full recovery. I also spoke to Jennifer's younger brother, Brandon, who lived with her and Sue at the time. 
He was nine years old when this all happened. Also, as was stated in the interview, I have made a video that is now available on the Unfound podcast channel on YouTube, where I point out the most important locations to understand Jennifer's disappearance. Once you see the area, you will truly understand how confounding Jennifer's case is. I'm now going to talk about the FOIA, the 600-plus page monstrosity that Monroe County sent me six months ago. And by the way, Monroe County, thank you. Thank you for being the most transparent and easy-to-work-with law enforcement agency that I've encountered in the past five-plus years. If you haven't looked at Jennifer's file yet, go to theunfoundpodcast.com, go to Jennifer's page, and download the PDF file. Then you'll be able to follow what I'll be saying in a few moments. But even for your own education, your own passion for disappearances and solving them, you should read this file. In 600 pages, you can learn very quickly how disappearances can be so hard to understand, to solve, to investigate. The file covers about 20 years of work a variety of officers put in to figure out what happened to Jennifer. Okay, let's talk about this FOIA. I'm going to talk about it very much the way I do... Uh, when I speak on the update episodes, I only have a few notes in front of me. Of course, the FOIA is 600-some pages long. I have read every page, but I'm surely not going to go through every page for all of you. And in fact, I'm, I'm really hoping that you will go to the Unfound website, theunfoundpodcast.com, and you will be able to download the file there. Please do. If you are really interested in disappearances and you've never, trust me, you're never going to see a FOIA uh, paperwork regarding a disappearance as complete as this or as plentiful as this one is. So I'm going to do this the way I do the update episodes. I just have a few notes from some of the pages from the FOIA that I think are the, the most important pages, but I think there's uh, a lot to be gained and learned from all many of the other pages as well, even though there are some duplicate pages. But uh, the pages that I've picked out either are noteworthy of uh, either for their content on that page or because uh, that page goes along with something in the interview that I did with Angela. So this is not scripted, so please forgive me if you hear some ums and you knows and things like that, because to actually type the script out of what I want to say about these particular pages would have taken hours and hours and hours. So I'm just going to take you uh, first to page number two, and you should not realize that the FOIA is not in chronological order. When you go to the first page of this, uh, the, the report, all these pages that were gotten, and I've been talking about this, uh, all these pages since, what, August of 2021, and now here we are almost uh, in February of 2022. They are not in chronological order. The first page you're going to see in the FOIA is not, for example, the report 
that was filled out in 1993 when Jennifer went missing. It's in there, and I'm going to eventually talk about it, but uh, it is not the first page. And in fact, the, the information in this PDF file starts with an alleged sighting in 2002 in, of all places, Tampa, the Tampa area where I live. And in fact... A couple different places in the in the foyer, it mentions some areas, not just in Tampa, but in actually Pinellas County, where I specifically live, which is Clearwater and St. Petersburg, Florida. So that is how this PDF file starts out. Something actually from 2002. Um, by that time, uh, in Investigator Lawson, Deputy Lawson, was long gone as was uh, David Watson and many of the other deputies who were working there in 1993. So this was handled by different people. They were looking into if a sighting in, in the Tampa area what could have been Jennifer. They decided that it was not, but you should look at that. Next uh, important page, we move up to uh, page number six. Once again... A, an alleged sighting. This is not that long ago, 10 years ago in 2012. We must remember that this disappearance took place in 1993. So almost 30 years, no, 20 years after Jennifer went missing, uh, they investigated an alleged sighting of Jennifer in Alabama. So you get to see that paperwork, what was done, and how it was determined that this woman was not... Jennifer Perry, who went missing from Marathon, Florida, on July 30th of 1993. But I think what this shows you is that uh, police do take at least some, uh, some of these types of sightings seriously. And this was work that was done that nobody in Jennifer Jennifer's family knew about. They didn't know about any of it until I got this paperwork uh, this entire PDF file for them in 2021. So they went almost 30 years without knowing about some of these sightings and what the Monroe County Sheriff's Sheriff's Office did in trying to figure out if this was actually Jennifer or not. Of course, unfortunately, neither of those sightings ended up being true, being, uh, being Jennifer. Next, uh, we move up to page 13. And these, uh, by the way, these page numbers... Uh, are not on any of the paperwork, you will find the actual file. So if you have um, whatever your PDF viewer is that's open looking at this file, you will have to look up in the maybe the left-hand corner to see what page it actually is because there are no page numbers on the actual papers that have been uh, copied. You will have to actually look at the PDF file, the how the program is set up to see what page it is. But on the PDF file, and I think it's universal, so if mine says 13, I think it should say page 13 on yours as well. But page 13, what I thought was noteworthy uh, is uh, well after Jennifer went missing, uh, a piece of paperwork, and for some reason they got Jennifer's sister's name wrong. Of course, her name is Angela. I, you just heard her interview. But for some reason, they called uh, Jennifer's sister Shannon. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, tried to find out, uh, get to the bottom of that. Could not. I just, at the time of the publication of this episode, could not figure out how that got messed up. The interesting part about that is you maybe already realize Shannon uh, is the name of one of these people who 
was interviewed more than once regarding Jennifer's disappearance way back in 1993. Is that just a coincidence? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Shannon is a fairly common name. Maybe not not many uh, girls being born today are being named Shannon, but Shannon at one time, uh, maybe around the Gen X generation that I'm in, Shannon was a very common name. So could it be a coincidence, maybe, or a Freudian slip of some type? I don't know, but that did catch my eye. And as you were looking for the, through the P, through the PDF file, you know you should examine that as well. Also, in that area of page thirteen, um, once again they're talking about an alleged sighting in South Carolina, and in my opinion, this seems to be the sighting that uh, where the Monroe County Sheriff's Office put the most work into it. Of all the alleged sightings mentioned in the PDFL, I think this is the one that gets the most pages. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't end up being anything. Why it was, it seems to have the most paperwork. You can judge that for yourself. It may be because they thought it was more serious than the others. Maybe it was because David Watson allegedly was go- allegedly was going moving to that area. And maybe there was some correlation there. I don't know. Once again, you can look at the PDF file and judge that for yourself. But right there, page 13, or shortly after page 13, uh, an alleged sighting in South Carolina is mentioned. So already within the first 20 pages of this, we have an alleged sighting in the Tampa area, an alleged sighting in the Alabama area, and then an alleged sighting in the South Carolina area. Moving up. Now, once again, I'm, I'm skipping some pages. I would urge you to look at them. Like I said, I've looked at all of them, but uh, I'm just trying to hit the very, very, very high points of a file that's 600-some pages long. So we're now going to move from page 13, from the page in the pages in the teens, up to page 40. And finally, we get to see the original report that was filled out in 1993. This is when it appears. And what you will notice in one of those pages, at one page 40, 41, 42, somewhere in there, you will see across the top how when they have this particular report that Monroe County uh, sheriffs use or deputies use, across the top there's little letters they have to put and questions that they have to answer themselves when they get on the scene. And at the time, Jennifer was classified as a runaway no foul play suspected. Yes, she had done it before. And these are these are things that they mark, mark off in these boxes. You will see it for yourself. I, thought, I found this very interesting. Fingerprints, uh, whether they were going to have access to any fingerprints, unknown at that time. And then what also caught my eye is that at least at the time that the report was filled out, that uh, they did not, Monroe County did not collect a photo of Jennifer. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe it was because being that she had run away before and then eventually come back, maybe it was she maybe they already had pictures of her at, from the previous times, maybe. Or they just didn't take it serious enough thinking that she was going to return or they were in a hurry. We just don't know, but 
this uh, no photo uh, being given to uh, Monroe County uh, actually is mentioned a few different times in the whole 600-some pages. So you get to see the report, everything that was written. You will see, I believe it's Michael Lawson's uh, handwriting, writing about what Sue told him about what happened that night. You can read all of that. That's where the original reported it uh, is, right around that time. Now, in those next couple pages, 41, 42, 43, some of the addresses important to this disappearance are listed. And uh, as I've already said in this, this episode, I've done a YouTube video so you can see these particular locations. And this uh, this is a disappearance that, Geography matters quite a bit because it is unique. And I, I knew I was going to have to do this map analysis. But those addresses are 101 11th Street of Marath- Marathon, Sombrero Road, uh, the Eastwood Apartments. This is where a woman named Miriam uh, was living. And I think that is the one, the mother's name. But Jennifer, I think, was friend with, friends with Miriam's son who lived with her in these apartments. And so that was a possible destination where Jennifer could be going. And then also mention, uh, in once again, in that area of page 41, 42, 43, is Angela's address at the time, and you will see it as 713 105th Street, Marathon, Florida. I did a video. You may want to check all of this out for yourself. So then we move up to page 46, just a couple pages later. Once again, Miriam Ventura is mentioned from the Eastwood Apartments, which are on Sombrero Road. And then there is the sighting. And you and I'm not doing any theorizing in this episode. I'm not I'm trying to treat this episode like all of the others that have been done on Unfound. Uh, but being this that this is in the FOIA, it cannot be avoided. That allegedly on December or uh, August second, nineteen ninety three, so three days. Remember, July has thirty one days, so thirty first, first second. Allegedly on August second, nineteen ninety three, Derek Freeman, this guy Derek Freeman, allegedly was seen driving a car with Jennifer inside. You know me. I don't know what to make of these sightings. Obviously, those three sightings mentioned at the beginning of this FOIA uh, were untrue. You also know that sightings that occur after the accepted disappearance date, the odds of those being true, to remind all of you, very, very low. Very low. Not impossible. Just very, very low. And so... When you read something like this, being that it's in an official FOIA that the Monroe County Sheriff's Office has filled out, it may lend you to think, oh, it must be true. You have to remember, we have to always question the, the sources of this type of information. It very well may be true. It very well may be that Derek did something to Jennifer or drove her away and they lived happy, happily ever after. But... You just have to remember the odds of this being true. We don't know. We don't know who came up with this. It might have been somebody who's trying to get Derek in trouble for something, had a grudge. We don't know. 
And once again, we have sightings uh, continued in the next few pages. Sightings, no proof of them. Shannon, uh, her name, once again, comes up. And then we move on to page 55. And this is where it gets interesting. I don't know what the word is to use, but I'm not sure what to think of all of this. Uh, you had um, Investigator Lawson, Deputy Lawson, really, uh, showing up, going to Shannon's property, searched the property because there was information out there that Jennifer uh, was there. Then we have... Um, this woman claiming that Michelle, this woman Michelle, was called by Shannon talking about Jennifer, something like that. And Michelle told uh, Deputy Lawson, she doesn't even, she didn't even know Shannon. Why this woman was calling her, she doesn't even know. And you can read that in the paperwork. The next, Angela, Jennifer's sister, you just heard her interview. Uh, was um, spoken to by Monroe County Sheriff's Office. And she had heard that this woman, Natalie, of course, Natalie, Shannon, all these uh, women, people, were mentioned in the interview I just did with Angela. Natalie, uh, who ended up marrying this other guy, a guy much older than her, said that, Natalie said that Shannon has Jennifer. Deputy shows up, searches the property, no signs of Jennifer. I guess no signs that anyone else besides Shannon was living there. Shannon, of course, denies it. Then we have this guy, Lamont Warthaw, uh, skipped out on his rent. And it seems like his landlord was saying, yeah, he skipped out right around the time that Jennifer went missing. And, you know, maybe he took Jennifer. And I even have it here, and it's something that I just don't know what to make of. We have to remember that Jennifer was 13. All of these people that I've mentioned, Lamont, Derek, Michelle, Shannon, Natalie, all quite a bit older Adults, all over 18, easily. So, it's, and, and you get the feeling in looking at this FOIA that Jennifer knew all of them. Why did she know so many people who were so much older than her, she was? In addition, it's clear to me that Angela, who was 17 or 18 at the time, and of course Sue, Jennifer's mother, adults, hardly knew any of these people at all. I'm not sure what to make of that. But that's something that you should be thinking about looking at this FOIA. Moving on. Uh, we go to page 58. Finally, we have Sue's writing. Everything to this point has been other people talking or Sue talking to the deputy Lawson or some other person in the sh uh, sheriff's office and person writing it down. Finally, we have... Sue's writing, and in fact, you see any cursive writing, that uh, cursive, do they teach that in schools anymore? Any cursive writing you see in this FOIA was done by Sue herself at that time. 
way back in the 1990s and 1993. So please remember that. Sue's writing. Um, lots of rumors. I even have here, it's so complicated. I think that's what you're going to see. Jenny, uh, Jennifer being here, Jennifer being there, Sue getting a lot of um, information uh, through the grapevine about Jennifer's being seen here, being seen there. And as we know, almost 30 years later, none of it has proven to be true. But that, uh, you finally get to see Sue's writing at the time, which in, so it's in her own words. It's not somebody, which she's talking and then somebody's writing it, maybe missing every other word or something like this. This is an opportunity for Sue to write it all out herself. And you get to see what was going through her mind at the time. Moving on to then page 62 still. Lots of rumors, lots of sightings that didn't go anywhere. Not saying that one of them wasn't true. Of course, they couldn't all be true. Maybe one of them was true at most. And, of course, none of them could be true. Then we move up. We um, uh, The next point in the FOIA that I thought was important, and given that we talked about it in the interview, was this courtroom story. That Jennifer was allegedly seen there, and what you also see in the FOIA, that the sheriff's office, Deputy Lawson and others, doubted this story. Given how it could have happened and when it happened and, and everything else. I think that's maybe further down in the FOIA. But at that time, on page 83, is the first time this courtroom story comes up. This Elaine Howard that allegedly told this to Sue or came from her and then Sue got the information secondhand. What I think is most important, at least at the time, I don't know what has happened since because it's not mentioned Anywhere like from 1996 or 2000, 2005. And as we know, in this four, there is information that goes right up to the 2010s, 2013. There's no information in there whether they actually tracked down Elaine Howard or not. But when this came out at the time in 1993, you will see that Elaine Howard was never located. So she might have been real and moved or somebody was just making something up not located, or they talked to her and nobody ever filled out a report, or they talked to her and it wasn't what they thought. I'm, I don't know how to decipher that. But all we know is in the paperwork here that um, she was not located. Then we get to page 86, and then this is a very controversial part of this report. And what you get to see is that... Um, Jennifer called the police a lot on her mother and maybe uh, maybe her sister too. That's what you're seeing there. That long list on 86 on page 86. Now you should know and this is very very important to understand. Sue, Jennifer's mother was never charged with anything anywhere anyhow. Ever. And uh, you heard Angela in the interview talk about her mother and gave her, you know, description of what was going on. In fact, as you heard Angela even mention, she, when she was younger, she was much like Jennifer, wanting to get out, running away. 
And and as you could hear, Angela never blamed that on her mother. Uh, It just seems to me that both Angela and Jennifer were uh, a couple of wild children. And it seems like the state of Florida tried to do its best with Jennifer, trying to get her some help, sent her to this other place. And Angela said her impression was when Jennifer came back, she was better. We have to remember Angela was not living at home then at that time. But that is a long list of um, calls, complaints that Jennifer had about her mother, and none of it ever amounted to anything. But uh, I I will tell you that uh, this, uh, this just shows you maybe how much the... Uh, Moreau County Sheriff's Office looked into this, that they went back after Jennifer went missing and tried to see if her name had ever popped up on any other paperwork, and it did, and this is that paperwork. And uh, and you should know, I, I talked to somebody who is very familiar with uh, the investigation into Jennifer's disappearance, and he told me that at no time was Sue Perry ever considered a suspect in her daughter's disappearance? That's what he told me. You can take that for what it's worth. We then move up to page 95, more sightings. We then can move up to page 105. There's a violent history between Sue and this Alejandro Salazar and others. Um, Victims, long list. So, It seems to me when all this information was being put together after Jennifer went missing that Monroe County just started going, would have been a computer, I guess, in 1993, probably, and um, just started pulling out anything regarding Jennifer, regarding Angela, regarding Sue, anything that had ever come into their office ever. And I think that's why a lot of this ended up in the file for... Uh, Jennifer's disappearance. I think that's why it happened. But you could tell uh, there was a lot going on at that time for Sue and her children. Going back 1992, 1991. Could that have something to do with Jennifer's disappearance? Maybe. Uh, I I really don't know. Could it be that... um, you know, there was there was fallout from this somehow with some guy who uh, used to be maybe Sue's boyfriend or something, I suppose, but there's no proof of any of that, but that may be going through your head. Move up to a page 130, and you will find uh, Sue corresponding with posts on a website, and she talks about a deputy saying, and she's very nebulous, Uh, in typing out what she typed out that you will see, but we now know that, and this was talked about in the interview with Angela, that at some point, Angela had spoken to another deputy working for the Moreau County Sheriff's Office. And he said that if you really want to get to the bottom of what happened to Jennifer, the Sheriff's Office should be investigated. Although, once again, in this FOIA, in that, 
But that section on page 130, she does not explicitly come out and say that. It might not be absolutely on actual one page 130. It could be page 131, 32, 133, somewhere in there in those next few pages. But she doesn't come right out and say it was a deputy from the Moreau County Sheriff's Office, but that's who it was. Unfortunately, that guy is now dead. He died just a few years ago. I, I, I tracked him down. It was a little tough because the name that Sue had for him, uh, she couldn't remember his last name, only his the first name, and then it turned out that the first name he used was actually his middle name. Somehow I was able to wade through all of that and find out who he actually was. Unfortunately, he's deceased. If if he hadn't been, I would have surely contacted him to to say what he meant. Now, before you get all crazy that with that, of course we know Michael Lawson had a very turbulent has had a very turbulent life uh, after Jennifer's disappearance. We know about David Watson, deputy, getting involved with uh, drugs one way or the other once he moved out of the Florida area. And in fact, although I can't talk about it explicitly because it would give away who I was talking to. I, I was told a, uh, I guess you could almost say funny story, almost darkly humorous, I guess we might say, about how David got caught trafficking in drugs. Anyway, um, So maybe there's something to what this guy said, being that we know about Watson, we know about Lawson, and then we also know about this David Deputy Batson who went to Tallahassee, and if you've already seen that, I posted that picture in all of Unfound's locations, so you could take a look at it, how he was eventually fired with having inappropriate conversations with girls once he was moved to the Tallahassee Police Department. He went up there. So I suppose you could think about that, before you take it too seriously, we also have to think of the flip side. Could this guy have just been trying to angle? Did he just not like these guys? Did he really know that they were going to be bad guys eventually? Who knows? He may have just been angling to work his way up to sheriff and do so by getting other people fired. We don't know. Maybe he had a grudge against them. We don't know. Moving on, uh, page 157. And we now have this report from 2008, and Sue was living there, and I guess Massachusetts State Police, um, they were helping um, Monroe County. They, they tracked Sue down to talk to her again at uh, again about her daughter's disappearance, which at that point would have been 15 years old. And this is where you finally get to see how much Sue points the finger at David Watson. This is the guy who um, stated, uh, was talking to Angela and Jennifer and said, uh, you know, if you, hey, you know, call me if you ever need help, uh, help running away. And I have to admit, uh, we talked about it, as you know, in the interview, but, you know, you know, I'm not, I, I think the conversation happened. I'm not calling Angela a liar. I'm absolutely not. But, I'm wondering, of course, we know David Watson ended up being a, a bad guy, but could he have meant that a different way? Did, did he really mean, if you need help, I will help you run away? Or did he say, you know, if you're thinking about running, what, running away, do you just need some, you know, help as in support, somebody to talk to, something like that? 
Obviously, Angela thought it meant that he was saying, yeah, if you ever run away, I can help you run away. But I, I will admit that's crossed my mind. I wasn't there. But as I'm writing out these notes, reading this report, that did cross my mind. Could this have, you know, you could say, use the same words, but mean two different things. And then also, though, in this uh, report that Sue talks about, she talks about how allegedly uh, David Watson, the deputy, made a pass at her. And then she's saying that the reason she's theorizing that David Watson caused Jennifer's disappearance because she wouldn't go along with David Watson. You'll see that, once again, page 157, 158, 159, uh, somewhere in there. What you also see in the report, once again, um, 158, 159, 160 in, in that area, is that this boy uh, that Sue says Jennifer was talking to on the night of Ju uh, July 30th, 1993. He is named, and it's public record, so I can state it here. His name was Danny Bo Moore. He was 14 years old. And in it, uh, at least in this report from 2008, Sue goes on to say that she believed that Danny was part of a, a gang and... So you can see that. I think the issue about that is that this is not something that Sue mentions in her 1993 report. That uh, she was down the street. Uh, she has um, said that she uh, Jennifer would not come in due to her curfew because she was talking to some friend down the street. But that friend is never named. There's never any allegations there's anything wrong with this boy who's around Jennifer's age, nothing like that. But then 15 years later, this comes up. Think that um, you need to decide for yourself what that means. It's, it's very possible that this isn't something that Sue heard until later. Or she it just got left out of that report, remember... At least part of that report, Sue did not write it herself. It was somebody else writing it down. But even um, when Sue wrote, had a chance to write about this, she did not write about this particular fact, if it's a fact, in 1993. But in 2008, she started talking about how this Danny Moore was in the Crips gang. Um... You know, I have to uh, gauge whether, does it make sense that a 14-year-old would be in a Crips gang and vacation with his parents in Key West? And how would she even know that this boy was in that gang? How would that even ever come up ever? I don't know. So you have to think about that. Also in those pages going into the 160s, the courthouse story pops up again and uh, more allegations are made during the sheriff's office. As we talked about in the interview, I, I wouldn't say the allegations are crazy. I think it's one of several different possibilities regarding Jennifer's disappearance. And then even uh, in the report, for the, the investigation that 
somebody did in the Moreau County Sheriff's Office. They also looked up David Watson and Michael Lawson and found exactly what I did uh, in 2021 into 2022, that these two guys, after they were out of the Monroe County Sheriff's Office, that their lives did not go very well. Once again, David Watson is deceased. Michael Lawson is still alive. And then you get up to page 170, and there's a lot of talk about DNA, about NamUs, a lot of addresses, and, and things like that. So, and the, the, the FOIA goes to about 640 pages, something like that. Some of it is duplicated, and you maybe have to wade through that, a lot of database stuff. But I think you should look at it in its entirety. I hope you will download it and and read it when you have the time. I think it's good exercise because, trust me, I, I just don't see us ever getting a FOIA that this, this big with this much information. And as Sue and Angela mentioned, a lot of the stuff that was done, they didn't even know it went on over the years. So this, I think you have to then have to re- remember that as we move forward into more disappearances that when families say, well, they don't look like they're doing anything, the police don't look like they're doing anything, it very well may be that the, the department is. That doesn't mean they're getting anywhere. As it seems with Marion County, they were doing things and it wasn't getting them any closer to finding Jennifer. But it seems when information came in that they would give that information a pretty good shot to see you know where it goes. So please look through all it. Please download it. I think it's important. And you can judge all of the information in it and combine that with the inter- the interview with Angela to try to start your own theory as to what happened to Jennifer Perry on July 30th of 1993. So now I will go back uh, to some scripted comments and then this episode will finish. And those are some of the main sections, not all of the sections, but some of the main sections from the file on Jennifer's disappearance. Probably the hardest part to understand is, in the past 45 years, only one teenager has gone missing in Monroe County and stayed missing. Jennifer. What was it about her, that night, her situation, or whatever else that caused her disappearance. In contrast to presumably many other teenage girls who ran away at one point or another in Monroe County over the past four decades who came home or were found alive in a few days. What made Jennifer different? I don't have a good answer. What I'm saying is all of the shady people mentioned by Angela who are also cited in the file, seem to be perfectly capable of causing a teenager's disappearance. Certainly. Yet, if one or a few of them are responsible, why do we not have more child disappearances in Monroe County? I suppose we could say the same 
of the deputies mentioned. I will say this, though. Lamont Warthaw, who is mentioned in Jennifer's file, has an extensive criminal record and, in particular, had a very horrible July 1993 in Monroe County, including assault. Still, what would cause someone to just break a rule once? Or maybe no rules or laws were broken at all. I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.